Let us pray. Almighty and gracious God, we thank you once more that we can be here. And we thank you for these words of Jesus. This high priestly prayer that he was praying specifically at this moment for his disciples there alongside him. But yet extends to us to this day. That Christ has consecrated himself for our sake that we would be sanctified in truth. So sanctify us by your spirit. Lift us up in mind and heart to that very place where Jesus is now before you on your throne. That we might know him more deeply and through him know you, Father. That we would forever be changed and renewed according to the image of Jesus our Lord in whom we pray. Amen. The light of the world has ascended into heaven for us. I don't know if you noticed, but maybe you did, that something is different up here at the altar. Something's missing, isn't it? It's the Paschal candle. It's been retired now and taken from the sanctuary. But why? Why would I do that? Why would I take it away? What does that, why doesn't it just remain here with us? This is one of those things, having not been raised Anglican and having gone to a non-Anglican seminary, I, I discovered these little liturgical things. I'm like, oh, wow, that's amazing because of what the Paschal candle represents. It's because it appears on Easter and it remains through ascension because the Paschal candle represents and symbolizes the presence of the resurrected Christ with his disciples. It's intended to be a symbol of that time on earth between Easter and and the resurrection, or the Easter and the ascension. It represents that for us. And traditional practices, in the traditional practice of the church, the Paschal candle was actually be snuffed out on Ascension Thursday during worship while the Gospel of Luke is being read, or possibly Acts 1, when it gets to that place where it says that Jesus was lifted up into the cloud, they would snuff out the candle to represent that Christ has now ascended, that His physical, resurrected presence is no longer with us in that physical kind of way. It's symbolic of that. It's a symbolic action that we do that to remind us physically with our eyes that Jesus has ascended into heaven for us. And I think also that, like I said, the light of the world has ascended. He has gone into heaven for us. And we do bring the Paschal candle out for baptisms and funerals because those are special moments to emphasize that bodily resurrection and that bodily presence of Christ upon which our salvation hangs. And so we bring it back out on those special days, on those unique moments of baptisms and funerals. From baptism, we remember that Christ is raising that child, that individual, from death, raising them up into new life in Himself. And at a funeral, because that person who has just died as a, as a believer is ascended into heaven spiritually in his soul, and waiting for that final resurrection from the dead, that final bodily resurrection. And we bring the candle out as that reminder to point us toward the resurrection of Jesus. And so, with the candle put away now, we're reminded that Jesus has ascended, and now we wait with his disciples for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. That's what our colic said. Leave us not comfortless, but send us your Holy Spirit. We await the fulfillment of those words that Jesus said that it's better for him to go away than for him to stay with his disciples. The light of the world has truly ascended. 
But the question is, where shall we find light now? Is there only darkness all around us? Is there only an utter absence for us when it comes to Jesus? Is He just gone? Has He abandoned us in order to get to the greater glories of heaven? The answer is no. It's an astounding no. He hasn't abandoned us. In fact, I would say that because He ascended and He's become hidden from our sight, He is even more present to all believers. He is fully present to us, even though He is hidden. That hiddenness becomes His greatest revelation. For by it, He goes behind that veil, that spiritual veil between us and heaven, so that He might be revealed to any believer at any time in any place. He goes behind the veil in His ascension so that He can be revealed to anyone in any time in any place. He may be absent physically from us, but by the Holy Spirit that He sent on Pentecost, He is present to us in His fullness, body and divinity, that He draws us up to Himself by ascending. He goes into heaven in order to become fully present to all of us. For if He was not ascended, He would be only in one physical place here on earth, and we would have to go to Him to be in His presence. But in His ascension, He steps out of the physical world and into heaven itself. That hidden spiritual reality that's all around us, so that we can always be in His presence. As I was preparing this week, thinking about the ascension, in our catechism, how to be a Christian, in question, question number 71, it asks us, how should you understand Jesus' ascension into heaven? And it says that Jesus was taken up out of human sight and returned in his humanity to the glory he had shared with the Father before his incarnation. There he intercedes for and receives into heavenly life all who come to him in faith. Though absent in body, Jesus is always with me by his Spirit and hears me when I pray. Though absent he is always present. And He hears me when I pray. Isn't that beautiful? Though absent, He is always present. It's an amazing reality that in Jesus' ascension, He becomes even more present. He becomes fully present to us. He goes up to fill all things so that He can be connected to us. And that's what Jesus is talking about in His high priestly prayer. There at the beginning of verse 11, He says, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you. And so, Holy Father, keep them in your name. And he says it again in verse 13. I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. The high priestly prayer here in John 17 is hinging upon the ascension of Christ. It hinges upon what He is doing. That He is going to not just die and be resurrected, but ascend into heaven and carry His humanity into the very throne room of God into the very holy of holies on our behalf. And that's the first place I want us to stop for a moment, is those two things that are accomplished by His ascension regarding our salvation. Jesus ascends physically in His human body for us. He takes humanity into heaven to accomplish two things. The first is not abandoning us, but going to His throne. He is going up to His throne in heaven, to lay hold of His throne that is rightfully His now as the one who has died and been raised from the dead. 
Yes, as God, He was upon that throne with His Father in heaven from eternity past. But as a man, He enters into heaven to lay hold of that throne as His own, given to Him by the Father, gifted to Him by the Father, because He has accomplished salvation. And so He enters into heaven in His humanity in order to sit down upon that throne with the Father. From there, He rules the universe and is our man before the Father as our King. It's the picture that we see in Daniel 7, I think. When Daniel sees the Ancient of Days in heaven and he sees one like the Son of Man come before that Ancient of Days, that is a picture of the ascension. That is a picture of Jesus entering into heaven on our behalf. And it's all truncated because judgment comes almost immediately after that in in Daniel's vision. But nonetheless, the ascension means that Jesus has gone into heaven to be at the throne of God, to sit upon that throne on our behalf, to rule for us and to bring us up with Him. Because in taking our humanity with Him and in sending His Spirit to unite us completely to Him, we too ascend into heaven with Him. Through our hearts and our minds and our spirits united to Him, we too are sitting upon that throne before the Father and with the Father, mysteriously and mystically united to Him. That's what Paul tells us in Ephesians, that we are lifted up into heaven with Jesus. And that's a beautiful thing. And the second aspect of His ascending into heaven is His entering into the heavenly Holy of Holies at the same time. The throne room of God is the Holy of Holies simultaneously. And that entering into the Holy of Holies is to bring a completion to our redemption. Each of these things, the crucifixion, the resurrection, and the ascension accomplish an aspect of redemption on our behalf. In the Old Testament, there's, I think, a threefold aspect to redemption. And that's what Jesus does. You have the actual sacrifice that occurs at the altar. You have the acceptance of that sacrifice by the Father, by Yahweh. And then you have the presentation of that sacrifice by the high priest in the Holy of Holies. And this is specifically talking of, I'm thinking of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, where the high priest would carry the blood of the sacrifice in before the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies and splash the blood on it. There, the sacrifice is presented to Yahweh Himself at the mercy seat, at the Ark of the Covenant, and that is what Jesus is doing. But He doesn't carry blood into heaven. He carries His own physical body as a presentation before the Father of the sacrifice that He has accomplished. He Himself is that perfect sacrifice upon the cross. His resurrection is the demonstration of the Father's acceptance of that sacrifice. And then His ascension into heaven is Him as the high priest presenting Himself as the sacrifice to the Father for our redemption in order to bring complete atonement. The Father has accepted that sacrifice and receives Jesus into that heavenly holy of holies before Him. For He is the high priest, but this high priest presents Himself as the sacrifice. This may sound a little familiar. It's the entire book of Hebrews. The entire book of Hebrews is about the ascension of Jesus going into heaven. It's about Him going into the presence of God as the high priest on our behalf, presenting Himself as the whole and complete sacrifice that removes the sins of the world. That removal occurred at the cross. That removal was accepted at the resurrection. And that removal is presented before the Father in the living flesh and blood of Jesus in the resurrected, glorified flesh and blood of Jesus. He ascends into heaven 
on our behalf. Bringing to completion all of the sacrifices in the Old Testament, undoing them and putting them away because they were mere shadows. What the high priest did in the Old Testament was only a shadow, a foreshadowing of what Jesus was truly going to do in that heavenly temple, the one that the earthly temple was based on. For Moses saw the heavenly tabernacle and he told and wrote down and explained to all the artisans and craftsmen how to build the earthly tabernacle, that tent that followed them around, that they carried around in the wilderness and set up when they conquered the land temporarily until the temple was built. It was based on that heavenly temple and tabernacle where the Father's throne room is. And where Jesus presents Himself is that very place that Isaiah saw in his vision in Isaiah 6 when the veil was torn away and he saw the Yahweh sitting upon the throne and the angels circling Him and singing back and forth about His holiness. That is where Jesus is now before the Father pleading and praying and interceding on behalf of the people. Presenting Himself as the one who brings forgiveness and has accomplished forgiveness with the Father extending that forgiveness on account of Jesus. And He prays for us. He watches over us. And He intercedes on our behalf. And that's what the second question in our catechism about the ascension says. What resulted from the ascension? Jesus ascended into heaven so that through Him His Father might send us the gift of the Holy Spirit. And through the Spirit, Christians together are united to Christ, the living head of His body, the church. Jesus gives us His Spirit to unite us to Himself, the living head of the body, the church, to unite us to Him and the church to bring us together because He is interceding for us and sends the Holy Spirit on our behalf. And that's, I think, what Jesus is meaning when He says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. He is praying for the Spirit to come, to sanctify, to make them holy, to set them apart for the mission ahead, to call them out to do the very things that He wants them to do. To make them the light of the world. The light has ascended, and yet the light of the world is us now. For Jesus dwells with us. He makes us into the very light that He is. He is the true light, and we are connected to that true light by the Spirit dwelling in us, bringing the strength and the power and the glory of Jesus into us and sending us out to be the light of the world now, to not be hidden away, to go out and preach and confess the gospel. To go out and declare the forgiveness of sins to all people. Because that's what Jesus tells His disciples to do. Over in Acts 1, at the beginning of Acts 1, as He is ascending, He tells them that they are to go out and to be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That is the calling of the entire church with the disciples there at that ascension moment being the representatives of the entirety of the church that He lays that charge on them first. And as they go out and do that, the rest of us are caught up in that same charge and called to be witnesses of who Jesus is and what He has accomplished. To be a witness to His sacrifice on the cross, to His resurrection and to His ascension going into heaven on our behalf in His human flesh. And it's a beautiful thing that He calls us into that as the church. That He wants us to do that for Him. He accomplishes it in us with His Spirit that He gives to us. His ascension is the very reason that the Spirit comes to be with us. 
For without that ascension, the Spirit wouldn't come. And I don't understand the inner workings of God, why it is that way. But nonetheless, His ascension causes the Spirit to come to us, to be with us, to dwell with us, to dwell in us, to renew us, to redeem us. And it's wonderful that Jesus ascends in order to send His Spirit. He ascends in order to become more present to us than we could ever imagine. He becomes hidden from our eyes for our sake, for our good, for our glory. For becoming hidden from our sight, the Spirit unites us to Him that He becomes visible to our faith. He becomes visible in the faith that we have in His work on our behalf. Though invisible, He is yet visible. He is hidden from our eyes, but yet is more present than we could imagine. He is hidden from our eyes and becomes more revealed than ever, than we could ever imagine. Because He becomes more revealed to us by the Spirit. And He becomes more revealed to the world as the Spirit goes out and draws others to Jesus. And the Spirit goes out as we go out and proclaim the good news of the gospel of Christ that we are forgiven that all who turn to Christ can receive forgiveness and redemption from their sins, that they can be bought back from the sin that is in them and made one with the Father through the Son by the Spirit. We can draw near to Jesus because of the Spirit, and He draws near to us by His Spirit. And so we look and rely on Jesus by the Spirit being present in us, knowing that He is truly and beautifully present to us. His hiddenness takes away nothing of His presence, but increases it and makes it possible for us to know Him more. And one last aspect of something that I thought was just amazing as I thought about the ascension this week and connecting it with John 17 and seeing that reality of the presence of God with us, of Jesus talking about His ascension and going into heaven, but sending the Spirit and wanting us to be sanctified. And so He sanctifies Himself and sets Himself apart to do the work of God in order that we too could be sanctified in the Spirit. And as He prayed for His disciples on that night before His crucifixion, asking the Lord to sanctify them, when He ascends, something I never thought about, He blesses them in His ascension. He brings to completion in a way. He brings to fulfillment that prayer of them being sanctified because that's what a blessing is. A blessing is setting us apart from ordinary work into sanctified work. Setting us apart from not knowing God to knowing Him. And in Luke 24, it says, He led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up His hands, He blessed them. And while He blessed them, He parted from them and was carried up into heaven. While He blessed them, He was in the midst of blessing them as He was ascending into heaven and the cloud covered Him up. I think that was the glory cloud. The glory cloud that followed Israel throughout, the old, throughout their wilderness journeys. There that cloud covers up Jesus and brings, ushers Him fully and completely into the presence of the Father in the throne room. But He is holding His hands and blessing the disciples. And they initially stand there, from what Luke tells us in Acts, staring up into the sky. In some ways, I think I used to think that Jesus' ascension was Him rising up forever and ever and ever, like a balloon that you let go and you just 
It goes up higher and it just disappears. But that's not what happened. He ascended into a visible cloud and went away from them. But He hovered there into that cloud blessing them. And the disciples were amazed and they stood there. And then two angels show up and they're like, why are you staring at the sky, guys? Go do the work Jesus called you to do. Because He's going to come back in the same way. He's going to come back in the same way that you just saw Him ascend. And how was it that He ascended? He ascended blessing His disciples. I've always thought of as He's going to come back as in He's going to come back on the glory cloud of God. I hadn't made the connection that He ascended blessing them. And so when He descends from heaven, when He returns to earth, He's going to return blessing His people, calling out to them and giving them His presence in the presence of the Father by the Spirit. He will be blessing us, asking for God's face to shine upon us, asking for God's peace to be upon us, asking for us to be united more and more fully with Him and the Father through the Spirit. He will return from heaven blessing us, His people. And that's a beautiful thing. I keep coming back. It's a beautiful thing because it's just beyond my imaginings to know that Jesus is going to come back in a posture of blessing. We often think of Him as coming back and judging the unrighteous and we forget about what He's going to do for His people. He's going to be blessing us and calling us to Himself that we would then be in the full and complete presence of the Father and rejoicing in the good deeds that Jesus has done for us. And so finally, as we think about that hiddenness of Jesus that more fully reveals Him to us and think about how He ascended in blessing to His disciples, I like how J.C. Ryle summed all of this up, especially about that blessing. J.C. Ryle says, as Jesus ascended, it was intended to assure of what He would yet do after He left the world. He came on earth to bless and not to curse. And blessing, He departed. He came in love and not in anger, and in love He went away. He came not as a condemning judge, but as a compassionate friend. And as a friend, He returned to His Father. He had been a Savior full of blessings to His little flock while He was, had been with them. And He would be a Savior full of blessings to them. He would have them know, even after He was taken away. Jesus leaves blessing His disciples so that we will know that He is in heaven blessing us and interceding and praying for us and connected to us and united to us by His Spirit so that He can bless us and be our friend and be the lover of our souls because He's given us the Spirit and sent that Spirit to make Jesus present to us now and always forevermore. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.